Friends, would you stand with me as we read the Lord's Word uh, this morning? We're reading verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 2, looking specifically at verses 7 through 12. Again, this is the Lord's Word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is the Lord's word. Friends, would you please be seated? Again, our Lord, we thank you uh, for this portion of our service where now we are quiet and you speak to us in your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to follow and we pray that your blessing be upon this servant that I would make it understandable and plain. Father, we thank you again for your loving kindness to us, and we pray that your word, this means of grace, would minister greatly now to our hearts, to every heart in this place. We humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 1, 5 through 9 says this, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. My friends, Jesus Christ is to be worshipped by the angels in heaven. Jesus Christ is to be worshipped by all the heavenly hosts. And he will be worshipped. And he will be worshipped by friend and foe. And God the Father himself will see to it that he is worshipped properly. Some may ask, how, how do I become a proper worshiper of the Lord. How is it that I could become a worshiper of Jesus Christ? 
In chapter 1, Matthew goes to great lengths to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the son of Abraham, that he is the son of David. He is the rightful heir of the throne of David. He is the king of Israel who will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And then in chapter 2, Matthew, he demonstrates that this Jesus should be worshipped and that he should be worshipped by the Jews of all people who are at this point not wholesale worshipping Jesus Christ. He's written this so that the Jews may know who Jesus Christ actually is and that they would be his worshipers. But he also writes it for Gentiles. And friends, he writes it for you and he writes it for me. Last week, as we looked at uh, chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 6, Matthew um, addresses three groups of people, the Magi, Herod, and all the Jewish leadership. Remember this, that the Magi were wise men from the east, either Persia, Arabia, or Mesopotamia. They were schooled in science and other disciplines, and they served in the courts of kings as advisors, who, based on a star rising, realized somehow that this is, quote-unquote, his star. That is the star of Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. They have traveled a great distance to Jerusalem to bring this king worship. Herod, as Matthew addresses him, is the king of the Jews, but not the king of the Jews, but a small k king of the Jews. He's also known as Herod the Great. And remember, we pointed out that he, was, he is remembered by historians as being a man who was capable, he was crafty, and he was extremely cruel. And he is troubled when he hears the wise men coming through Jerusalem saying, where is this, this child who was born king of the Jews? Why is he troubled? Because I'm the king of the Jews. There's not room. This town isn't big enough for two, two kings, right? This is Herod. He's crafty and he's cruel. And we know that he's what he's up to, as Matthew will report later, that his, his goal is to remove Jesus Christ, to remove any, any sign of, of uh, competition. Herod is going to maintain his kingship. And then finally, Matthew points out uh, the Jewish leadership. These were the chief priests and scribes. These are men in the know. They know their scriptures. Herod has gathered them and has inquired as to where the Messiah was to be born. And they answer, quoting Micah the prophet, that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And they go even further as to say, he will be a ruler and he will shepherd my people Israel. What astonishes us uh, about what Matthew is pointing out is that of these groups and of these people, it was only the Gentiles. It's only the Magi who have come for a great distance with gifts to worship Christ and simply because they saw his star. That should shock everyone's sensibilities. What? What? Herod? Herod didn't recognize this new king? He doesn't bow the knee to this king? What? Even more astonishing, the scribes, the high priests, the Pharisees, what? They're not coming to worship Christ, the, the child, the newborn king? But instead, magi, Gentiles from the Middle East have traveled perhaps a thousand miles in order to worship, all based upon a star that they saw. The people whom you would have expected to get it wrong end up getting it right, and those who claim and do know 
and should have known are antagonistic or apathetic, totally unaffected by their own understanding of scripture. This should shock us. This should uh, be a poke in the chest to every one of us. Would I have responded if I was back in that day and someone had knocked at my door and you open up that door and you see these wise men, these men from the Middle East saying, we saw his star. Where is this child who's born king of the Jews? Could you heat my dinner up again? There's a couple of guys here and they don't react. They're apathetic to what's happening. That should startle us. This is really a a startling passage in this way. Matthew here, as he continues to address these magi, again, he's shifting our attention back to them. And while addressing briefly King Herod, it is the magi and the Lord's special care of them to make them worshipers of his beloved son that Matthew now focuses upon. And the question comes again, how does one become a worshiper of Jesus Christ? We all come into this place, we come to this sanctuary, we have such different backgrounds. And if I were Madison Avenue, and if I were an advertising guru, I might find out, well, what's the demographic? What's the age group? What do they like to do? I would target, try to get you hooked on this Jesus method. Remember Charlie Brown Christian, or Christmas, the Charlie Brown Christmas, where Lucy says, I hear that the whole thing is run by a huge Eastern syndicate. This is what you would do. You would try to advertise. You would try. So how is it that these men end up becoming worshipers? We don't know their backgrounds. Is it possible, friends, is it possible that the Lord could take the most unlikely of people and make them a worshiper? Do you know somebody in your world, in your life, who is the most unlikely candidate to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ? And have you continued to think it's impossible? They would never believe these things. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. How does God do this? First of all, friends, we look at verses 7 and 8. We start with what God himself has revealed. God himself reveals himself to us. Listen to verses 7 and 8. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. He reveals the son to the Magi. Up to this point, there has been no direct contact between Herod and the Magi. The Magi have been riding around Jerusalem, repeatedly asking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod, Herod himself, is trying to figure out where this kid has been born, who is um, king of the Jews, and he's asking the Jewish leadership, um, where is he? When we come to verse 7, Matthew points out that Herod calls a secret meeting to determine when the child is born. Thank you, sweetheart. Herod, remember, is crafty. He doesn't ask how old the child is, right? He doesn't come right out. He's a liar. He's not forthright. He's not really interested in in coming to worship. Rather, he is interested in finding out when the star appeared so he can deduce how, how many years do I need to cover 
when we start killing children. He's an evil man. He's a brutal man. He asks about the star when it had appeared, again, to determine the time frame for killing. Remember, while there is a lot of speculation as to what these men knew, Matthew tells us, and this is, this is I think, fairly important, because historians have said, well, they might have been familiar with Balaam's prophecy. They might have been familiar with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you know what Matthew points out is that they saw his star in the east. That's it. That's what, they're, that's what Matthew points out, that they're familiar with his star, that it was only his star that they saw, which caused them to load up and ride out, and we have no reason to believe that they knew anything more, which is an astounding thing when you consider, hey, I heard that there's a really fun place about a thousand miles from here, and I think we ought to go. And you go, seriously? <laughs> that's all you're going on? And they're saying, we've seen his star. We're going to go, and we're going to worship him. This is a, is a tremendous act of faith on their part. Also, the star appeared, but not continually, but only briefly. And this is why they come to Jerusalem to look for the king of the Jews. This natural phenomena, which we refer to as general revelation, it is put in place by God himself, is an instance of God showing something about himself to these magi by which they knew that the king of the Jews was born and that there was something spectacular about him. There was something noteworthy about this child. They come to Jerusalem knowing only that he is born. They do not know where he is born, but only that he has been born and that this child that is born is king of the Jews. My friends, this is general revelation. It takes place every day. Our Lord has so constructed the natural world that from night to morning, from dawn to dusk, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the meteorites, the comets, all these things that we say, we see, and the, the whole earth and everything in it pour forth a language, a speech which screams to us about God. It tells us of his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. Everything uh, is clearly seen, understood through what has been made so that all men, said Paul in Romans 1, all men everywhere are without excuse. We are without excuse. And you say to yourself, well, I, I look all the time outside. I don't see anything so spectacular about this. I'm sure you think that way. This is why it's such an evil thing evolution, that whole understanding of the world came about, about apart from the Lord, the phrase Mother Nature, or if you want to get more technical in your New Age terminology, Gaia and Gaia worship, worshiping the earth, the whole climate agenda. Friends, do you realize that the Lord says in, in Genesis chapter 8, that the world's not going to end until the Lord says it's going to end. Did you realize that? Do you realize that all these climate czars and all these people said crying, crying out, we're going to end the earth? Do you realize we're not going to end the earth? It's not going to end until the Lord says, I'm done. Do you realize, do you believe that? That should be directing policy, by the way. Do you realize that since I've been born, I've had to deal with the earth freezing over, the earth burning up. I've had to deal with... Um, uh, running out of fossil fuels and we've had to deal with acid rain acid rain we've had all these things that have continued to come 
And in all these things, and why I'm bringing this up, is that we talk about evolution all the time. Our children are, are trained, are geared to look at the world as though it is the product of scientific formulas and not the hands of the living God. I'll give you an example of it. What do you think of when you see a rainbow? Some of you will say, well, this is the, the, the colors of, the, of a minority group that are very loud and boisterous and they're celebrating their perversions. Or you look at it and go, well, that's white light being broken down through uh, water prisms into Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, uh, <laughs> green, blue, indigo, and violet, right? And so that's what you see. How many of you ever stop when you look at a rainbow and go, oh, the Lord was thinking about destroying the earth and his bow hanging in the sky has reminded him that he's not going to destroy it with water again. Do you ever stop to think that way? I hope you do. Teaching our children that there, is, there are no such things as accidents, that God's fingerprints are on everything. Why don't you marvel at general revelation? It's because I believe we've been trained to think not in terms of God's handiwork, God's fingerprints. We've been trained to think that these things are happening in isolation, in a vacuum apart from God. And I think that destroys the way and the blessing of the world around us. And these wonderful magi, simpletons, <laughs> they saw a star and they go, that's important. <laughs> we're going to go, we're going to load up the camels, we're going to take our precious gifts, and we're going to go and we're going to go worship this newborn king. My friends, the Lord screams to you from the world around you. He's screaming. You, it's deafening. It's everywhere from the snowflakes that have just fallen over the night to the icicles, to the snow on the mountains, to everything that our Lord has done, right? I'm reminded during, uh, Dr. Blake has reminded uh, me, she's the, the cow. A cow's the only animal in the world that can turn grass into protein. Why is that? What luck? <laughs> Not, right? It's an act of God. Every time you bite into that piece of meat and you savor it, you should be saying, thank you, Lord. This is fantastic. I could be stuck eating grass, but now I get to eat beef. This is a wonderful treasure. You think I'm making light of it? I'm not. This is the truth. This is the way we ought to celebrate the world around us. All these good gifts come from our God, and they are not silent. They scream to us of a God of blessing and of kindness and of mercy who gives us all of these good things so that we will stop and say, surely there is a God who is good to the sinner. That's the way we ought to look at these things. These men knew something was afoot, but they did not know what so much. This is why we see them riding around Jerusalem, knocking on doors. General revelation is enough to cause us to know that God is to be worshipped. He is mighty and creative and powerful. This is where God begins. This is where we get our first glimpse of God. But it is not enough. The question comes, well, which God is it? Is it the God of Islam? Is it the God of the Romans, Zeus, perhaps Marduk of the Babylonians? Paul, as he was in Athens, uh, says this, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. 
And so we have in verse 8, Herod saying this. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. He sends the wise men now. He has a secret meeting with them, and he sends them on to Bethlehem. He himself is a liar. He is hiding behind a a pious facade. Herod had gotten his information from the Jewish leaders. The Magi did not know where the king of the Jews was, but God uses Herod and his crafty nature to bring scripture to bear upon the situation. What men intend for evil, and this is certainly what Herod intended, he intended evil, but God intends it for good. And so general revelation is not enough. The whole of the world screams to you, that there is a God. But you need God to reveal himself to you in a special way. And he does so here to the Magi. And he does so still through his word to you and to me. He reveals himself, his son, to us through the scripture. Notice Herod sends them to Bethlehem. Why? Why to Bethlehem? How did Herod know this? Well, because Herod was speaking, as we are told, to the chief priests and the scribes of the people who quote to Herod, Micah 5.2. Again, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They quote Micah. They quote the prophets. They quote this prophet who has brought the word of God so that the people of God might know that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Herod, this wicked man, tells them, go to Bethlehem, this is what the chief priests, this is what the rulers, the lawyers, the guys who know the scriptures, this is what they're all saying. You should go to Bethlehem, I want you to search thoroughly, and I want you to find this kid, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. It is from the scriptures that we learn who he is, who Jesus Christ is, that he is a ruler and a shepherd, and where they must go look, That is in Bethlehem. My friends, it is the Bible that God brings to bear upon the Magi, even though from a crooked source like Herod. They don't know where to look, but they get their information from Herod, who has gotten it from the Jewish leaders, who have gotten it from the prophet Micah. General revelation tells us that God is special revelation, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Now, beloved, understand, understand, creation can scream at, at you all night and all day, and you can have the word of God preached to you. Now, here's, here's, here's the difference. Listen to me. This is the difference. What do you do with the word that is read? What do you do with the word that is preached? Herod himself is not a Christian. Herod is not interested in worshiping Jesus Christ. Herod is interested in maintaining, and sometimes people will use the scriptures to advantage themselves, right? But that would be to misuse the scriptures. The point of the scriptures is not to make your life easier. You understand that? If you follow Jesus Christ, you are not going to make your life easier. Herod uses the scriptures. He uses the information to better himself, to better his position. But it is not to fall down and know the God of the scriptures or to know his son. The Magi, on the other hand, 
they act upon the information that is given to them. We see a, a very different response between the two. Again, Herod receives the word, believes it is true, so much so that he sends the Magi to Bethlehem and tells them to report back. But he will not go with them to worship. He is only interested in killing them. On the other hand, the Magi hear the word and they obey it. They obey the word. We read this this morning about in, in Joshua and in Hebrews. What's the difference between the, the, the people, the, the church today and the, and the so-called believers then? They heard the word, but they didn't respond to it in faith. What do Christians do? They hear the word and they respond to it in faith, which means they act on what the word says. If, if you were there and with the Magi and you had heard Herod say, he is to be born in Bethlehem, you would have said, hold on, I'm getting my bags, I'm going to come with you. Because that's what the word says. And that's what a Christian does. He hears the word and he says, oh, I've been doing it all wrong. This is what the Lord's word says. This is what I am supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to behave. These magi, they desire to worship the newborn king. They respond to Herod's instructions to go to Bethlehem and to search thoroughly. They step out in faith. They have nothing more than Herod's word, yet they obey it. They obey it. Significant here. It's significant because understand then in verse 9 we read this. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Literally, the, the, the scriptures say, behold the star. They've only seen the star when, when Christ was born. Sometime, however long it takes to travel a thousand miles on Camelback, Right? They have traveled. And now we're told, behold the star. The star is significant. It has not shown since its first appeared uh, on the night of his birth. This is the implication of the text. The night he was born is shown brightly, but then it fades. These magi have had no star all this time. They have pursued by faith this child, this king, and now on their way to Bethlehem because of the word, the star appears again. The star's appearance is a confirmation of the truth that they have acted upon. They have pursued the right course to worship the king of the Jews. And now this star went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. The star led them to the very one. Miraculously, this star gave confirmation to the truth of the scripture. Do you see that? Herod says he's born in Bethlehem. They get up and they go to Bethlehem. They're not going to Bethlehem because they see the star. They're on their way to Bethlehem. And while they're on their way to Bethlehem, they see the star. They're obeying the word. You see, this is my point. They're, they're obeying the word. They're not waiting for it to be confirmed before they obey. When they saw the star, we are told they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because it was his star which led them to him the object of their desires and devotion, and it confirmed what they had believed. They obey the word of God. God himself confirms it in them. The word precedes experience. Peter says it in 2 Peter 1, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. To what is Peter referring? The Mount of Transfiguration. We saw his glory. We heard the voice of God. And Peter says, and as convincing and as sure as that experience was, 
you have the word of God, which is more reliable, more sure. All this talk about experience and all these sorts of things, my friends, we have the word and we have the example of the Magi, Gentiles, who have only, by natural revelation, general revelation, and now by special revelation, have been told he's born in Bethlehem. They go, okay, then it's to Bethlehem we're going, about six miles away, six, seven miles. They travel on based on Herod's word. The word of God is a certainty. It will and always has come to pass. My friends, obey the word. Obey the word. The Lord will confirm it. The problem is is we so often want God to confirm it first, and he won't. He calls his people to be a people of faith. Does he not? It is not faith if we must see first in order to believe it. The people of God are a people of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me give you some examples of this very thing. And I am by no means shaming, trying to shame anyone when I say these things. Our budget committee met, and we are roughly down about $30,000. Not $30,000 in debt, but we're down about $30,000. And I know that things uh, are, are tight for many people. I know that people get scared, right? You watch the news and you say, oh, the, the cryptocurrency is going to be instituted. Banks are closing. We've got all this crazy mishigosh going. I better hold back. Now, I'm not, I'm not up here preaching for money. That's not, I don't care. As long as I get a paycheck <laughs> and I can go buy my groceries, I'm happy. But I, I do believe that if you look at your checkbook, you see you will see where your priorities are. You can tell where a person's heart is resting. And I'm bringing this up as one of several examples of how we live by, by sight rather than by faith. And I know people get afraid. Something's going to happen. What has the Lord said? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. We had a man, we, we had to choose at our church in Miami between paying the missionaries or paying our mortgage. We had a big old fat mortgage on this building. And the secretary bookkeeper came to me and says, what do I do? Of course, what comes to my mind is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So I I say, well, let's pay the missionaries and then let's pray real hard. (laughs) So we, we paid the missionaries. About 10 minutes later, this is not an exaggeration, 10 minutes later, a guy walks in who had attended church a couple of times. He goes, you know, I haven't tithed in like 10 years. So he wrote us a check for $10,000. Might he still have come in? I don't know. But I know this. The Lord says, test me, try me. The Lord says, trust me, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And yet many Christians say, I believe the Lord, I trust his word. Except when it comes to brass tacks, we stop trusting the Lord. It shouldn't be this way, friends. The Lord has said, I'm not going to leave you. Do you believe that? The Magi, if they believe it, and they did believe the word, they walked out and they they did what the word had said. If he's going to be born in Bethlehem, I'm going to Bethlehem. The Lord says he's going to take care of me financially. He's going to take care of me financially. So I'm not going to keep from the Lord what is rightfully the Lord's. I'm going to rather give it, and I'm going to trust the Lord. You see, it's more, more than just the finances. 
It's about your hearts of resting in the Lord, of walking in obedience. It's really easy to say, I'm trusting the Lord, until it comes to a matter of the things that you hold dear, like your stomach. And that becomes a test. Another way we do this uh, is, is, is with the Lord's Day. And I'm so thankful you're here. I'm, I am. So I'm technically not preaching this to you. But it, but it is this sort of thing where my child's future depends upon him getting a scholarship into a college. And so we're going to miss... We're going to miss going to church because, I mean, it's, it's important. Of course it's important. But this is more important. So I'm going to ask you this. What's more important? That your children have a good-paying job and live fat and happy in a worldly sense? Or is it that they fear the Lord, love the Lord, know the Lord, serve the Lord, die for the Lord? Where does the greatest happiness come from? It comes from walking with the Lord and knowing the Lord. And yet, this is one of those areas where we go, well, I don't want to get too crazy about this spirituality. I don't want to be fanatical about following Jesus. No, I'm telling you, anyone looking at these magi, you came from where? A thousand miles away? Are you nuts? Some would say we're nuts. But he's a king. You see this? This is one of those ways. And so we, we, we compromise. My friends, the wise men obeyed the word and the Lord confirmed it. He confirmed it. This is often what he does, especially with young and new believers, until they know that we don't need signs to obey the Lord. We would just obey the Lord because he says to do it. That's, that's where maturity, that's where we want to get in our Christianity. I don't need a sign. I don't need a miracle. I don't need a, something flashing outside my bedroom window. I just need to know that I handle the word accurately and, and, and am I walking in obedience to what the word says. That's, that's where we go with this. And by confirming it, he built their faith and their faith grows. And we find out that those who who. God reveals himself to, they respond to his revelation, natural and special. They seek him and they are satisfied. They're satisfied. Listen to verses 11 and 12. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Those who seek will find, and they will not be disappointed. The star has stopped over the house. They come into the house, and they see the child. They see the Messiah, the king, the king of the Jews, along with his mother Mary, and they fall face first to the ground. They prostrate themselves and they worship. Notice, they worship him. Not them. Not Mary. You notice that? He's just a baby. <laughs> yes, and he's just a king. They fall down and they worship him. Nobody says, hey, hey, stop it. Baby olators, you know, don't 
stop this. Nobody says this. Why? Why? You know why? Because the child inside Mary, who is now outside of Mary in her arms, is Emmanuel, God. He's God with us, and they fall down and they worship him. And they present him with these kingly gifts. Origen said, The Magi brought gold as to a king, myrrh as to a mortal, and incense as to God. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which really were tremendous gifts for the child. Again, he is no ordinary child. He is the king of the Jews. These are not gifts that they just scrounged up out of a junk drawer in their house. What can we find around here to give them? But notice they come and they present these kingly gifts. Psalm 72, 9 through 11 says, Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts, and let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. They come and they worship. Their faith was not in vain, but was fully realized that very day because they obeyed God's word and did it. And so will your faith, my friends, be rewarded one day. And your faith will be turned to sight because you obeyed the word of God. One day you will come before the Lord himself and give praise and worship and unadulterated adoration. And your faith will be satisfied and you will never be disappointed. These men... Again, were magi who based on stars, on a star's appearing, left everything to come and to worship. They did not have the word of God as the Jews did or even like Herod did. Those who have the word need to act upon that word. My friends, you need to obey it. You need to obey it. The Gentiles, they hold up such a standard Why weren't the Jews obeying? The Gentiles had such little light. The Queen of Sheba, same type of thing. She had heard and she presents all this gold to Solomon. Right? What does it say about a people who have the word of God and have these means of grace and yet we can't get ourselves out of bed? We won't come to worship. Or we come and we bring pitiful things to our God. We don't sing our best. We don't tithe. We don't live for him. We take Sunday night off and we decide we're going to live this way or that way. You see, it's a half-hearted. We read of Caleb that he, was, he did fully what the Lord wanted. And these magi do fully what was revealed to them to do. It's an accusation against a people who have the word and who don't do fully giving Christ the worship he is deserving of. What should Christmas Day do for us? It should make us say, wow, what a savior, what a deliverer, what a redeemer. And it should cause us to say, I will give to you all, all that I have because you did not withhold anything from delivering me. My friends, would you bow with me and let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this passage of scripture for the wise men and their example of following natural revelation, of following the word that was spoken and of coming to worship the Savior. We ask, Father, that we would learn from these things and not give to you half-heartedly, that we would not have lukewarm attitudes but that we would be on fire, that we would be zealous, that we'd give to you, Father, all that you are worthy of and so much more. We pray that you'll bless this word and encourage the hearts of your people. Challenge us, O Lord, we pray, that we would um, not lose our saltiness, that we would not lose our influence, but that being wholly yours, we would be... um, a faithful witness and influence upon the world around us because it can't be silenced. We look to your hand and again we look to your spirit to fall upon us afresh and we pray that you would give to us a zeal that is pleasing heaven. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.